0: Good evening, you are listening to three moves ahead and I'm your host Rob Zachney. joining me today, we have freelance writer Rowan Kaiser. Hello, and we also welcome back our friend freelance writer Fraser Brown hello so we've come to the end of another year, and uh as is our custom i think it's 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 time for some game theory uh, but <laughs> more particularly it's it's time for some strategy game discussion uh because i i I would say that I've gotten the sense lately from you, Rowan, that you feel that 2016 was a banner year for strategy game among banner years, uh, and so let's let's start digging into you know the kind of year we've had in strategy and what were some of your highlights.
1: I mean, I think last year when we had this when we did this conversation, the end of the year thing, I said that. 2016 was shaping up to be potentially one of the greatest years ever because we had four major releases. And if at least two of them landed, um, then we would have something to talk about. And those were XCOM 2, Stellaris, Hearts of Iron 4, and Total Warhammer. And I would say that three of those landed. um, And a lot of people would say all four landed. And then we also got Civilization so this was a goddamn year for strategy games like this is those are the the big names that went on and then we just got this marvelous grab bag of um all sorts of basically any subgenre had at least one game that was really really good this year and it's pretty easily the best year for strategy games that i have seen since i started doing my writing about six years ago um 2012 had crusader kings 2 and XCOM, so that's pretty difficult to beat but i think this year kind of did and it might be the best since like 97 or 98 one of those alpha centauri gettysburg starcraft years that was just utterly amazing but i would say that this this year like you can't really go wrong if you just pick that one game in the genre that you happen to be interested in. It's Everything's got something.
2: I, I can't imagine anyone not being able to find, like, five games that they loved in the genre this year. And if they couldn't, then maybe they were actually looking for, like, adventure games all along. Because they're just... There were some. Th- there were there some was some good, good adventure, adventure games, games too. <laughs> Look, it was a good year
0: overall. Like, I, like strategy games had a great year. Uh, but it was kind of, I think, the theme of 2016, at least in games, was uh, it's it's a pretty it, it's been a terrific a terrific year uh, for games again, and nothing else.
2: But but games are <laughs> great. Um, we really needed the escapism this year. I think.
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, so. I want to say, like, as I was sort of thinking through what what came out in this last year, and, and Rowan, you already hit some of the highlights, but uh, I, I sort of, you know, did the every December I open up the Wikipedia article on like the latest year in stri- in games and start going through it, and I'd forgotten that like Homeworld Deserts of Karak was like right at the start of the year, and so was Darkest Dungeon. Uh, you know, it's it's been such a good year that it's easy to forget that like we were barely out of the new year's break before we had some some really extraordinary uh strategy games appearing and uh i think here at the end of the year like homeworld is still still one of my absolute favorite games of the year might actually be my favorite of the strategy games that came out you know like there's there's an emotional resonance i have with
2: homeworld that that i don't have with with most of the other games on this list i think i remember when we recorded this last year we knew that Homeworld was 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 coming out like in a month, basically. And I think we I were, talked we shit. Like...
1: I may have talked shit with <laughs> <Yeah>. you. <laughs> I mean, there we... there's all kinds of reason to be skeptical of it. Mm. Uh, I I don't think I don't think anyone expected it to be. I don't know about the best RTS, but one of the best interfaces I've ever seen in a strategy game, and a really good RTS alongside that. It was
2: definitely the best RTS of, of the year.
1: Yeah, if we're going to go by genre here, the RTS was probably the weakest in terms of numbers, but yeah. Homeworld came out of nowhere and was fantastic, and I'm not going to complain about that.
0: I think for me, Homeworld was a reminder, too, of how much I miss like good strategy game campaigns. And that's sort of where I've come down with this game is like it was a, it was a really good RTS. Um, maybe not like you know a Company of Heroes level achievement or or, or something like that, but like still really really good. Uh, the multiplayer was was fun. Like I think I think Fraser, you and I had an absolute blast uh, sort of, sort of playing cat and mouse uh, through through the desert. Uh, yeah, I was for a few very much there.
2: the mouse. What? <laughs> I was very much the mouse. I I do recall uh, you, you had know, you had some good games. I think I had a good game. <laughs>
0: Well, <laughs> I did not see that, uh, that, that onslaught coming. Let me, let me just say that. That entire game where I was sort of trying to stake out every hole in the desert, every watering hole in the desert, and keep you from, from getting an economy going. And, uh, and, then, and then Fraser sort of sneaked his, his entire army to this one resource patch, spent everything on just one roll of the dice, um, it
2: was a, it was a big risk. I yeah. I invested every. If I hadn't won that battle, then you would have won that match. Yeah. I I, had, I sent everything, including including my uh, my mothership.
0: Yeah, the carrier was like the point of the spear, and yeah. it just came ripping through. Uh, it was great, but yeah, it's fantastic. I, I think Homeworld, it had a it had a really good campaign. Uh, lots of of memorable missions with with cool like scenarios that. That you get into. Um, I love the art style, both in the cutscenes and and in the game. Like it's just it's a it's a beautiful game. It's it's got that very homeworld uh, sort of sparse aesthetic, um, but it's a game that sort of exaggerates memorable details. Like when I was going through my screenshot bank um, a few months back, like it's just a game of like you know gorgeous you know, missile trails across the desert surface and, like, exploding tanks. And, like, there's just glorious chaos uh, in, in every frame. Um, so it's, you know, it, it, it was just kind of a... What's, what's the way to put this? I think a lot of RTS games sort of get hung up on being these, like, uber-competitive, um, like, opuses right that's that's kind of the way the way i put it is that the entire focus is is building this like meticulously balanced ultra demanding uh, competitive rts homeworld the homeworld kind of started from a different place which was let's build a memorable setting and aesthetic and story uh, for an rts and user experience yeah that's that's a very good point um, Rowan, you you mentioned that that interface a couple times. What was it about the what was it about that interface that stood out so much to you?
1: Um Like it just seemed to get all these little details of things that annoyed me in RTS's before, right? Like it had uh It was like this huge map and these deserts with these wide open desert spaces and you didn't necessarily know where you were fighting or not. But when you did, it just gave these little subtle touches like, oh, the fight's in this direction. If you so you scroll this way, you'll find it. Um, Like it it would flash red more on that side of the screen when there was an attack on, you know, to the right. And then you scroll right and there it is. Um, the, The sort of overlay tactical overlay thing Mm. that a lot of games try to have and i never use in any of them was really useful it's just like you're constantly pressing i think it was spacebar to go into that tactical overlay and get what you need to do done there and it becomes just like a second nature um it's not necessarily an interface thing but the way it used formations was just really satisfying especially after um i think i played it like four months after the last StarCraft II came out and StarCraft II was just like, what's a formation? Who cares? Whereas this is like, all right, your, your little people are going to be all set up in these perfect little things and they're going to fight in their formations. They're going to like break out and do their things, but it's still within these particular confines that just looks and feels really nice. It was just kind of a, satisfying to click on things and have things happen
2: in that game. It all seemed to make sense. It was it was a bit minimalist, bit you know, diegetic, a bit like the original homeworlds, really. Um, Very much so, and yeah, it it worked. It was, and it's strange to play a game with an interface that makes you feel nostalgic as well. But I definitely felt uh, uh, that kind of lovely, comforting feeling of, of nostalgia while playing the game, not just because of the story or the the characters of the world, but because of that interface and i think it obviously it helped that that not long before we had the homeworld remastered collection which is also excellent but was 2015 so we'll skip over that um but it you know it that reminded me how much i loved those games and then so i was very much prepared to love deserts of crack and it was fantastic
0: yeah, and that's a very good point about the nostalgia, because I think that is something we see across strategy games, and actually a lot of genres, is games that are sort of trying to recapture um, you know, a historical moment, a memory uh, for an audience. And Homeworld does a very good job of evoking those fond memories, but actually providing a ton of upgrades that don't make it feel like it's a entirely new new animal. You know what I mean? Like Homeworld is <laughs> Homeworld has a much, much better interface than than the original Homeworld did, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but it always feels like consistent and of a piece with Relic's original original vision. Uh which which I think is is really really cool. And before we you know move on from the early part of the year um so I've been playing a lot of Darkest Dungeon uh lately. And I'm totally gonna say like this is a strategy game like it's it's oh yeah. Uh, I think it's somebody... XCOM. There's there's no.
1: It's, it's not a question. It's XCOM. Uh,
0: I I think that my my favorite analogy. I don't remember who it was on on this show said that it was it was basically um franchise uh <laughs> like what was it? It was like. Uh, franchise Dungeon Rating Manager 2016 or something like that, <laughs> uh, which I think is an even better uh, analogy, given that it's all about like sort of recruiting your roster, keeping your star players like in, the, in their prime, uh, you know, looking after their needs, getting them in a good training regime. Uh, it's it's just it's really really good. it it it's it pushes a lot of my buttons. Uh, I was sort of put off initially by the game. I was sort of overwhelmed by the difficulty of the game uh at first. Uh it feels like maybe it's actually gotten a little easier since it came out because I remember struggling a lot more back in January. But I just find it inordinately satisfying to be moving these pieces around. Uh, you know, rotating them between like the adventuring party for this week and then setting them off on furlough or uh giving them giving them little little upgrades, uh tweaking the uh, the powers I'm going to activate for the next mission uh, and figure out how the squad's going to function uh, the next time out. It's just, it's its all full of resource management and, like, systems optimization in a really chill and relaxing way, I guess is the way I'd put it. Like, a lot of strategy games, I feel like when I, like, I'm facing this many decisions, it's often in sort of a high-pressure environment where it's a little stressful to be sort of pondering all this stuff. But in Darkest Dungeon, it's just like sit back and contemplate where you want to put your <laughs> put your elite uh highwayman uh this week. Do you want him do you want him in the whorehouse or the bar? Like <laughs> I'm like, well hmm, let me let me think about what I know about that highwayman. It's it's really weird the, the enjoyment I take in these in, in all these little small decisions and like where to allocate these these resources for the week. Uh,
2: but I really just, I, I love it. So I find it very stressful uh, to the point where I didn't play it nearly as much as I thought I would. And it's not necessarily a criticism of the game because I think that there's plenty of room for games like that. I just don't know if there's plenty of room in my life for games like that anymore. Um, I increasingly find the games that punish me or make me feel bad even a little bit, it, it, you know, for, and, feel like a failure, are just games I don't want to invest that much time in because uh, I just I don't want to feel like shit um, and it's a shame because I love the art, I love the mechanics, it's so full of character and it's an intensely clever game and I did enjoy exploring these terrifying dungeons but I, I stopped playing quite quickly because I want to move on to games that made me feel a bit happier. Well, that says a lot about you.: It I does. It says a lot <laughs> it about the year you does. Had.
0: Uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I totally get it, though, is the thing. Like I don't think it's an accident that I'm starting to get into it here at the end of the year, uh, when things at work have sort of settled down, and you know, it's just the the last couple weeks of December are, always feel a little bit like,, um, like the week after finals week at university. You know, like around this time of year, just everything sort of the the pressure lets off, and suddenly I'm finding myself enjoying a lot of games a lot more. All of a sudden, much more than I was a few a few months ago, where it was like, "Hmm, should I play video games or should I binge watch a Netflix show?" I think I think I think I'll do the binge watching. Um, now, I, I will say though that Darkest Dungeon. So in my current playthrough, it hasn't started happening yet, but I can start. I can see it taking shape, um, and I'm talking about like the 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 the, the death spiral, the failure loop, um, and that's that's the thing that worries me a little bit about about games like this. Like right now, things are ticking along, but like I've lost a couple crucial heroes, and like there's no one really that capable of replacing them. And the difficulty of the dungeons is getting harder. Um, And I guess this is where this is the type of stress. I really don't like and I think XCOM 2 actually hit this um, Push this button a lot for me as well, and that's why I sort of bounced off it a little more than I did uh, XCOM 1 I Really don't like it when it feels like a game is locking in a chain of failures uh, because every setback depletes you in ways that just make the game harder as its inherent difficulty is ramping up.
1: One of the key things that makes Darkest Dungeon different from XCOM 2, especially, and XCOM 1, um, is that like the the thing where you were talking about how it was calming for you and you just got time to make your decisions is it's in the game. You can't lose. Like you can lose key heroes. You can be set back by You know, weeks or months, but you, there isn't a thing that's going to come and say, here is game over. It's just the next week you try again, the next week you try again, and over and over and over. Whereas XCOM 2, there is a very clear strategic pressure that is, you know, pushing on you saying, this is going to ruin your life if you don't do this right, uh, oh, you made one turn wrong, all your squaddies wiped, and now you will never, ever, 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 ever win the game. Whereas Darkest Dungeon, even if you have your best heroes wipe, you know, the next week you start building up new heroes. And maybe that is sufficient for saying, I just need to restart this, or I need to move on to something else. But it's not going to be inherent in the game. It's inherent in your motivation. And, um, i mean i think this was my biggest problem with xcom 2 was that it just didn't have that difficulty loop quite right in a way that made me constantly being like i need to reload i need to reload i messed up one little move i need to reload whereas darkest dungeon like you can't do that for one thing i mean there were you can like hard reset and get out that way but it is a game that is explicitly designed around permadeath and every decision being permanent and because of that because there is no quick load it knows exactly what it is in a way that xcom 2 doesn't
2: but you Um, you can get stuck for a while whereas with with xcom you might get into that kind of failure loop and and you're screwed Um, and it still feels like progress is being made but darkest dungeon has these moments where you just feel like you're stuck and you're just trying to get better and you've doing another little adventure that turns into a terrible misadventure and you try again and that's why I prefer the progress that you get in XCOM 2 and and indeed in like Banner Saga 2 where you mm. can massively like you could make terrible decisions but you know outside of the, the strategy layer and in the, the narrative layer and lose people and stuff like that but your caravan is still moving forward and you're still progressing through the story so no matter what you do you're still going Somewhere, and I find that even when I'm really cocking up, I still actually find that a little bit more relaxing because I don't feel like I'm trapped.
1: Uh- the thing, the thing with Darkest is such, and probably its biggest weakness, is that it can be hard to, like, rev those wheels up. And it can mm-hmm. just takes a hell of a long time. Especially if, like, you know, you you have the bulk of your heroes are, like, level 3 or 4. And then you have a couple wipes. And now you have half your heroes are level 3 or 4. And half your heroes are level 1 or 0. And you're trying to figure out which ones you need to go with. And it just is, like, you know, eight dungeons of... I don't really know what I'm doing except trying to grind levels out here. I'm not like getting a new sort of yeah. thing going on. It's just trying to put everything back together so that I have a like reasonable, reasonably balanced set of adventurers, And that's, I mean, that's the point where I usually start over um, or give up and start over in a couple months. Like it's, it's probably my favorite game of the year. It's basically in a tie with uh, total Warhammer, which I'm sure we'll get to soon enough. Um, but it's definitely got this like stalling out of all right, you just need to do some repetitive stuff for a little bit too long. Um and that's not a problem with XCOM two or some of the other tactics games that we had, but those have their own problems where it's just like I feel like I have, you know, messed up and am constantly reloading and, and so on.
0: Yeah, let's let's get to that cuz for me I think XCOM 2 is kind of, isn't one of my games of the year. I think it's more like one of my disappointments. And I like I feel really sh- on shaky ground with that because I feel like after a certain point I did not give it a fair shake. Um, you know, after after those first few weeks, I was I kind of hit a point where like this is just not fun. Like I'm not having fun with this. And a big part of it was So yeah, in Darkest Dungeon uh you can always sort of keep throwing the rookies uh into the meat grinder and bail on dungeons and slowly level these people up and it may not be like super fun but like yeah there's there's ways to recover um but with with XCOM I did feel the 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 tailspin um the the chain of the 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 chain of failure uh was inescapable once it started happening because the campaign was going to continue evolving its difficulty pretty much at a set, at a set pace. Uh, the, the types of missions you were running, the types of enemies you were running into uh, were, were going to keep sort of ramping up. And there was no, like, it did not feel like there was any sort of catch-up function. Like, once you started losing those those critical resources, it sort of felt to me like I was being forced to either reload... Um, compulsively to make sure everything went went really really well um, or the game was just kind of tricking me into continue playing it but like that run was basically like terminally ill you know what I mean like oh well actually this game of XCOM 2 has been lost since three missions ago when yeah. that, that ace sniper and uh, that top support both went down uh, that was actually the end of your game you didn't know it but But the next mission, your top assault died because the sniper wasn't there to provide Overwatch, and then the next mission after that was a bunch of rookies and one veteran, and that's when the veteran bought it along with two of the rookies, and now you've got nothing. Now you have no gear, no resources, no experienced troops.
1: And if you don't go get this Avatar thing immediately, then it's game over, and you're going there with two veterans and four rookies, and... Uh, it's just not going to happen.
2: So I never had that experience. I only lost like five five characters throughout the whole campaign. What I never had Earth? to restart. <laughs> it was weird. Uh, I was just, because I'm like, usually I'm so impatient that I take big risks. And in the first XCOM, I I think it wasn't until my third game that I actually managed to finish it. Uh, but in XCOM 2, I just found it, I wouldn't call it like easy breezy, but uh, I don't know. Fate was on my side, so yeah. But, and, and the five that I lost, I'm including the two that you lose oh, in come the tutorial. On. I mean, I mean, part, I mean, part of just this kidding. may
1: be the difficulty, right? I keep trying to play on hard, I probably shouldn't because this happens, but it's so easy yeah, at the beginning just, if you're not I played playing on, on hard. regular,
2: uh, I think, or like plus the one above that, maybe I can't remember. Uh, but I find it like I see the thing is, I didn't actually find it easy. Um, I just, maybe I was more cautious, and maybe I was also kind of lucky when it came to RNG, I don't know, but um, I didn't have to, like, scum save or anything like that, uh, so yeah, I didn't, I, I, I could imagine loving it less if I had that, the experience that, that you're describing, Rob, but I, I just didn't, and it, I, it's definitely one of my favourite games of the year.
0: Oh wow! See, so, yeah, and I had I had a couple bad runs, and I just hit a point where I was no longer having fun. And I think I did start playing impatiently. Like after a couple games went off the rails, mm-hmm. I started being like, "All right, let's 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 get moving! Right? let's get to that other, let's get to that harder part faster."
2: Um, because and... you've already spent so much time with the game, and you've not really gotten far because you've had to restart. So I can understand why you would be like, yeah. "Right, I need to start." I mean, that, I appreciate
0: that, but at the same time, what I'm what I'm hearing is that like you're the you are the Audie Murphy of of XCOM, <laughs> um, the, the the Wellington of, of XCOM, <laughs> and uh, I'm the I'm the multi-key, the, the uh, younger.
2: See, we we did a um, when I was still at, at PC Games, then we did a, a series of like each of us would take the save and, and play through it um, and try to you know see how well we did and i think i got like a i got a perfect or whatever they call it um and i was like it's still continuing this insanely good luck i mean it must just be all the like babies and goats and things i sacrificed before i started playing um but yeah it worked Why'd... out quite well for me
1: you probably should have done that before the brexit vote <laughs>
2: It's not Stan of XCOM. Like, I come here to talk about strategy, not to become really depressed about the state of my country. <laughs>
1: oh, don't worry. We can match you. Um, so,
2: <laughs> well, Rowan, did where, it... where did you come down with XCOM? I
1: mean, I still think it's like the best tactics around. Like, I, I had a lot of fun with the early game in, in XCOM. Um, my problem is that it's, it's the same problem I had with uh, the. 2012 xcom is that it's doesn't quite know if it's an rpg or a strategy game. I want it to be a strategy game. I want it to be like sending, you know, dozens of my resistance fighters into the meat grinder and slowly getting like a few of them up there but always having like a good group of people that I can go and, you know, pick someone out from and it's it's a a game that like there would be expected losses. It would be okay to lose a mission. Um, And what it is, is it's more of an RPG where you have to just, like, set up your, your core group and stick with them. And I just can't quite get that connected to my brain, connected to the difficulty that I want it to be at. So it's kind of a personal thing, maybe like you and Darkest Dungeon, but it just is, uh, you know, I want I want the XCOM 2 Long War mod, basically. And <laughs> even that, like, eventually turns into save scum hell. But I want, I think I said this on when we did the XCOM 2 podcast, I want an XCOM 2 that's designed around not reloading. I want, you know, for access to go and say... Every move you make is permanent. We still want you to be able to finish this game. What does that mean? And it's just not the game that it is. And I, you know, n- was never able to resolve that. Um, I wanted to talk really quickly. I just started playing Shadow Tactics, which came out, I think, in late November. And it's a commandos style sort of, like, part puzzle, part tactics game. But... It basically says, like, here's this sandbox, here are your goals, you need to be saving and reloading constantly. It is a game that is built around save scumming, basically. Like, it gives you a warning if you haven't saved in the last minute, and you die very easily and very quickly, and then it's like, here are your your saves, go back at it. And it's like, here's a game that knows exactly what it wants to be. It says, you know go experiment and if you mess up just pop right back in and try something different that's fine and like so it's sort of the reverse of a darkest dungeon that says everything you do is permanent but since it knows what it is it's really satisfying and kind of calming in a way that xcom 2 was not because i spent so much time in the reload screen and that's uh, it's yeah it's just i wish for axis would like make a decision and go in that direction whichever direction that it is,
2: is i just want it to happen one of my favorite things about XCOM 2 was actually watching you ruin recreate every X <laughs> Yeah. which was <laughs> um, delightful.
1: But, but that's part of the thing is that you know I go and I create like 150 characters. I think I ended up with. I want to <laughs> see more than 10 of them in the game. Sure. But the g- game that it wants me to play has you know 10 or 15 characters, and I the, the, I just. Couldn't quite wrap my mind around that.
2: I ended it with like stormtroopers and clone troopers from like throughout the ages, like because <laughs> yeah. there was there was a mod that it was a really good mod as well. It looked the the actual quality of the armor was was surprisingly high. Um, so it was quite by by the end of the game, just everyone was decked out in fancy stormtrooper armor, uh, and I kind of felt like I was uh, and clone troopers as well. It reminded me of like the joy I had playing. The uh, the the clone trooper FPS squad based FPS. Uh, uh Republic Commander. Republic. Yeah, yeah, Republic Commander. Yeah. Uh, so I was quite. I was kind of. I was feeling a bit nostalgic about that. I should replay that one day. Uh, fight, Trent Oceans. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I just I do want to give a nod here to to Banner Saga too, because I think it's I think it's going to be a little bit overlooked because it's a, like to an extent more of the same mm mm-hmm. uh, but i really like that formula and i really like i really like my squad my, my my squad tactics game with a like a hearty helping of um choose your own adventure adventure like visual novel uh on the side um banner banner saga two i i thought um added uh added an awful lot it was it was it was a really cool uh story and campaign with a, it's probably a lot more variability and harder choices uh, than, than even in the first game. Um, I also kind of appreciated a lot of the new uh, like hero designs, like, uh, character classes, and the way they sort of forced you to change up your tactics an awful lot. Uh, from what you got used to in the first game, uh, the it was more both the ones it...
2: that you'd play and the ones that you'd fight, wasn't it? It was so diverse.
0: Yeah, yeah, and you really started. Need... You really needed to think about the interaction of special abilities and adjacency and bonuses. And it was kind of cool because it was like if you played your cards right, it was like you could almost triple your team's power. But if you didn't sort of leverage those those synergies and advantages. Um, it would get, it would get very hairy, very
2: fast. So I love the, the, when I'd go into the sort of training tent and it would give you a challenge and it would teach you to use these synergies, which are fantastic and very creative, um, And I would, you know, I'd I'd finish off it, but yes, you succeeded. Next battle, I would just, I couldn't wait to get to use them. And it was so empowering to be able to just devastate your enemy with what are often quite complex tactics. Um, And the the characters work so well together. Uh, I I really feel that was a game that, it was a sequel that improved on every aspect uh, of its predecessor um and it is it's a shame if people will overlook it uh i think it is tougher though because unlike say xcom 2 where you can jump into xcom 2 and having not played any xcom it doesn't really matter because i mean it's it's a new story um you know r- largely like an alternate history um whereas with banner saga 2 you have to have played banner saga 1 it won't make a lick of sense yeah there's literally no point yeah um and it, you know if you are interested in two i said go and play one because one even though two is is much better one is still a great game um but you'll really be you'll be looking forward to two the most i think because it is just uh yeah it's fantastic and, and beautiful as well i mean it, we were talking about that with with homeworld it's nice to be able to appreciate how stunning uh, a strategy game can look uh and it not just you know look like space marine people in StarCraft who were just fighting. Uh, having vistas that are properly eye-catching and evocative uh, is, yeah, I uh, thoroughly enjoyed exploring that dying world. So I noticed a couple
1: months ago, like October or so, that Banner Saga 1 was updating in my Steam library, and I clicked on the View News, because it was a pretty significant update, and it was like, we've rebalanced the final chapter in order to, you know, make it possible for humans to complete. And (laughs) uh, that might actually get me back in there, because I never quite finished the first one. They may
0: have overbalanced it, to be honest. Like, because I I totally got stuck on the last battle uh, back in, like, 2015. And right when the second game came out, I went and replayed the first game and was like all right it's sort of approach the way you approach ftl right where it's like okay now i get it now everything's got to be about preparing for this for this final encounter and i just showed up and basically like walked up to the giant monster shot it with the magic arrow and just put it
1: down uh, to the point where it started to feel a bit more like a murder um, no no this was after that this was well after banner saga 2 came out this is like recently
2: oh so maybe they bounced so it they- again
1: yeah, they they redid they did it a, another time and uh, yeah I don't know I I I want to play Banner Saga 2, but I never did finish Banner Saga one and the issue
2: was the supply and renown system oh my uh, which just didn't really it was a good idea that didn't really work in the first game but in the second game it's a lot more easygoing you have so many more options and because you all the actual challenge is is when you have such a large army uh trying to divvy it up and actually see like who do you want to t- properly invest in rather than feeling like you don't have anything and there are little things like you can send your guys out uh, your warriors and your civilians to go and gather supplies yeah so there is the sense of struggle and that you're kind of on-the-run and fleeing devastation, and it's all, like, apocalyptic. But at the same time, that's it, more, like, thematic, rather than you feel like you can't do anything because everything's fucked up. Um, the balance also, that they struck in the second game is much better.
0: I also just like the greater feeling of moral compromise uh, throughout a lot of that game. Like oh, It was yeah. really easy to feel everyone was, like, you were always the good guy, in the first game is how it felt. Because like it was really easy to identify with Rook and Alette and their escape from uh from, from the dredge. Uh, you know, they're just they're they're simple farmers, they're good people, they're just trying to survive. This second game, you can take that that band of mercenaries in a couple different directions. And it always feels like you are sort of battling against um your own savagery uh to an extent. And and they even pull that off in, in some mission design. Like there was this mission where um like I came to a really hostile village and I don't know what it was. There there was some sort of story event that made me think the right decision was to storm the village. And the mission begins and the minute it starts, you see what you're up against and it's like all level 1 enemies. It's like some crummy archers and Shitty spearmen who are animated, carrying like pitchforks and everything, and your guys just like clean house. It's just a complete massacre, and like sort of even in the te- even in the in the squad in the squad combat uh, battle, you start to feel icky about what you just did. You just know you screwed up uh, because of like just what a slaughter this battle is turning into. I kind of
2: dig how how well the game brought that out. It's it's the way it, because. You said savagery before, and I think um I get what you mean, but I feel it's more about trauma, um, mm. because that's very much what the the game is about. It's one of the key themes of the game is how Ruker Let deal with serious trauma um, and i and I found it traumatic, um, yeah, and that kind of inspired me to make certain decisions which I feel very bad now about in the light of day. <laughs> Um, but I very much put myself in, in, in Rook's mindset, and it was, it was just a bizarre feeling, especially in a strategy game rather than like an RPG, which you'd maybe expect that more from. Uh, so yeah, something quite special, I think.
1: I think most of these tactics games are, you know, RPG enough.
2: Yeah, there's definitely uh, an RPG layer in most of them uh, these days. Uh, especially.
1: Um, I don't know if either of you guys played Fire Emblem.
2: Um, but... Not no, the, it's not the new on the one. I played Awakening, uh, yeah. but I didn't get the latest one, which I hear yeah. is good, but not as good.
1: Yeah, I just want to spend a minute or so on that. Like, January through March was just, like, tactics game after tactics game. It was... <laughs> Everything about it was you're moving little people across squares. It was kind of incredible, (laughs) but also overwhelming. I never did get to Banner Saga 2 because of this. But um, yeah, Fire Emblem Fates seemed to try to take everything that made Awakening such a great tactics game and ruin it without actually like changing the core gameplay. So you've got this core idea of like you're moving your little JRPG people and they're making friends by fighting together. That's just such a great idea. It's you know one of the best systems in rpgs slash tactics games of the last several years and then the fire emblem fates is like oh we're going to have it be three different games one of them is boring the other one is too hard the third one you have to beat the other two for it to make any sense and like it's just this conceptual mess but the making your JRPG little people be friends by having them fight next to one another within a quite good tactic system. It's no XCOM 2, but there's still a good game in there. It's just divided into three different games. That is my Fire Emblem. That is so strange.
2: (laughs) I'm kind of glad that I didn't bother. I'm probably going to pick it up inevitably. But don't you have to get, because there are two versions of the game like the box game like you actually have do you have to buy both and then there's a third version
1: that is like technically kind of considered an expansion but it's the real story so basically there are these two <sighs> kingdoms that are at war and there's a you know an ancient evil behind them manipulating them and one of the kingdoms that's is crazy kind of, yeah i know right <laughs> one of the kingdoms is dark <laughs> and one of the kingdoms is light and if you at the start of the game you're presented with a your character is presented with a choice like which one are you going to go with your adopted family or your real family the good guys or the bad guys or whatever and if you take the good guys then you get a fairly conventional kind of rpg where you can go and grind and stuff and they just march into the bad kingdom and they take it over and that's pretty much it there's like no getting into the whole ancient evil thing and it's just kind of a really boring variation on the whole th- story. Whereas if you take the the bad guy's route, which is Fire Emblem's Conquest, um, then you get into, like, this morally complex story with whatever, and you don't have the RPG, like, I can go and grind stuff. It's just a set of scenarios that you have to do one after another of increasing difficulty to the point where is just not actually all that fun. They're, they turn into like very specific puzzles where you have to get everything right and have the right characters still alive because there is permadeath if you want it. But even if you don't have the permadeath on, if your characters aren't leveled up enough from the previous things that you can't go back and play again, then you're screwed. So it's, it's just not a really great experience, whereas the original fire or not the original but the previous fire emblem awakening was kind of both of those things it was hard but you could go and grind and like this one just manages to split it in a worst of both worlds kind of ways and i never played the final version um i don't even remember what it was called but that's the one where you say, screw you guys, I'm going to go find the ancient evil, and you don't pick either of the kingdoms. It's and, the wild uh, card option, then. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, that that seems like it should have been the game from the beginning, or whatever. I don't know. I think they... they what a weird out- way to
0: construct a game.
1: They, a, they, yeah, a they, they outthought themselves. A they, it's like they, they told their volunteers f- to stay in Iowa because they thought that, you know, everything was... Rowan, you've got to doing concert, they would- you stop doing this. <laughs> you got to stop
0: you you got to stop trying to br- you get, like we need to keep the 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 dike between us and the ocean of 2016 <laughs>
2: strong easy breezy easy breezy
1: yeah it's a, they, they outthought themselves they decided we're going to create games that focus on the good things about fire emblem and here are those good things that we're going to divide them up when it was the combination of those things that made it good in the beginning so i yeah it's I think i'm just going to skip this,
2: but and get that JRPG with all the Fire Emblem characters in it that's apparently really good the one for the Wii U it's not a strategy game but it looks pretty cool yeah i mean
1: if you can find like all 3 of them for fairly cheap then that's not the worst idea in the world but i would not going to play honestly, 3 versions
2: of the same game <laughs> yeah that's awful
1: <laughs> i would honestly just say play Fire Emblem Awakening again cuz there are also some other systems that they updated that were not and made not as good as Fire Emblem Awakening it, so even though i spent a lot of time with it and generally liked it i wasn't even close to making my end of g- the game of the year list because there were so many things that were improvements this year that having one that seemed like a massive downgrade was uh not really something i wanted to do
2: i want to talk a bit about i want to talk about <laughs> ashes of the singularity a little bit oh, just God. a little do bit. we have to I wanted, (laughs) Can I just a wee bit, please? Um, So, because we were talking about, like, you know, how Homeworld uh, felt so refreshing while also feeling quite evocative of of these kind of brilliant uh, space games, even though it was on a a planet, Um, and how much personality it had. Uh, And then you get to Ashes. Now, Ashes and Singularity, I actually like. Uh, I think it does a lot of cool things with unit formations and epic scale battles that a lot of games recently have attempted planetary annihilation and sort of sucked at. But Ashes does really well. However, I did find myself kind of I, I find myself giving up on it quite quickly because. I have found myself needing that personality, needing either a good story or a decent emergent storytelling. Um, you know it doesn't have to be some sort of scripted narrative, but I just want something inspiring me to fight. And Ashes does not have that. It is very plain factions uh, that you can't really care about, and it's all about the actual. Factions fighting each other. That's the only important thing. It doesn't matter who they are. What matters is they fight and The campaign is more preparation and I think that that actually they've said that's what the campaigns about It's not meant to be a fun story It's about preparing you for Multiplayer and skirmishes and as someone who doesn't really play a lot of strategy multiplayer unless it's with friends, you know I don't like just randomly fighting someone uh, i only get pleasure if i'm like defeating someone i actually know um or you know more likely being defeated by so th- it didn't feel like there was anything in of left for me to do after i played it for however long i played it for it really wasn't that long but i think in any other year ashes would have stood out uh, especially mm. since these days we are maybe struggling to find decent RTSs to get excited about. What what didn't you like it about about it, Rob? Because I know you really, you just you never really got into it.
0: Yeah, I mean, I I actually think your diagnosis is really good. Like there are interesting things. Like mechanically, uh, it, Ashes is is kind of an interesting game. The whole meta units concept. Uh, is is really unusual and kind of exciting to see that at work. But it is so utterly lacking in personality, and it's not just that... Like, we, we all know that, like, games are not, like, pure mechanics, right? Like, this is, like... Or, I mean, they really, at their best, shouldn't be. I guess Reiner Knizia... You know, your games are, are maybe an, an exception. But, you know, what makes you get into an RTS is not some, uh, like, platonic ideal of of the right pace of a game and the right, like, you know, resource uh, allocation trade-offs and the the correct uh, rock-paper-scissors balancing. Um, so, I mean, I, I think Ash's is so weak on theming that it actually even interferes with your ability to appreciate what's going on. There is such a lack of personality to anything in that game that like you see all these units clashing on the battlefield, but like it's all kind of meaningless. And and that incl- and that even in sort of a tactical sense, like in most cases I can barely recognize what unit is doing what. I can't really judge like how efficient it's being, how how effective you know how effective are those missile carriers being? I don't know. There's a lot of missiles falling on the battlefield. Like some <laughs> units are dying, some others aren't. Like it's just it is so hard to sort of read what is going on. Um, it's it's hard even getting a sense for you know how the two sides even differ in in, in a battle. It feels like everyone's just sort of like fighting with clone armies. Um, the meta units end up feeling a little bit like at a certain point you're throwing giant RTS sumo wrestlers uh, at each <laughs> other because they're just way down with different units and they just start, like, wailing away and keep feeding more units into the battle. And it looks kind of cool, but not that cool because, like, it's kind of an uninspiring-looking game. Uh, but, yeah, it's just... There's a cool concept in Ashes of the Singularity, Um that hopefully gets carried forward into a more interesting game, but yeah, I just didn't I don't even think in a different year it, it stands out that much. Like it's it's just it's it's too plain it's it's too plain of a game. It's too it's too uninspiring. You know what I mean? Like yeah. if it were the last RTS on Earth, I'd be <laughs> like, well, that genre's gone. Like it's just like
2: there's nothing there's nothing to inspire you. There's nothing to excite you there. Uh so I'd argue though that the other games in that legacy do have more personality. Though I mean, I didn't like Planetary Annihilation, but there's no denying it had it a sucked. hell of a lot of yeah. But there was a lot of personality, right? Um, mm. It was it was art style pretty much. Well, yeah, it, yeah, um, it had
0: a twee art style. If that's yeah. if that's personality, sure. Yeah, I, mean, um, I actually
2: thought the art style was really good. I really liked the art style. I didn't really dig the game at all. Um, and then I I'd say like and maybe it's just because I fucking love giant robots but i really you know it's, it's the same with Supcom. i thought it had quite a lot of personality as well certainly more so than ashes um well it actually and it, had a
0: slightly more involved campaign there was an um, actual
2: story that i felt yeah. like i i can't i honestly couldn't tell you anything about the ashes story even though i played it this year and um, you know, i, start, but I, I started s- trying to
0: make headway on that campaign and i just i couldn't just couldn't, yeah.
2: I don't know. It's just it has it has one new idea.
0: It is it, is kind of how it feels. Like the, the meta units thing is is really really cool. It's really exciting. I was exciting about excited about it before it came out. But it does kind of feel like you know what if you know what what if we just made an RTS even bigger? And <laughs> the problem is like is Supreme Commander is still really goddamn big. Like it's still yeah. like if you want that, you can still go back and get that with Supreme Commander One. And I still think it's a better game with a lot more, a lot more going on there. Uh, it's it's a prettier game, you know what I mean? There's 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 a whole bunch of reasons. There's there's a lot of like things that are hard to put my finger on with why Supreme Commander works and a game like Ashes doesn't. But like Supreme Commander just seems to have. Um, you know, a, a lot of personality. It's not just that there's giant battles happening, but I think the battles just like look kind of pretty and wondrous. I don't think Ashes ever really does, uh, which is weird because Ashes was also supposed to be kind of a a, a graphics showcase. And I think oh, it it's, has great it's a bit graphics, drab.
2: but it doesn't have a great aesthetic. Because um, it does. I mean, it 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 impresses visually in a sort of academic way, Um but. It's not something, like, you would never take a screenshot and, like, frame it, whereas I would frame the hell out of every single screenshot I took from, like, Homeworld, for instance. Indeed, I may, I wrote an entire article, I say, I wrote, which is basically just a gallery feature of all my favourite screenshots of Homeworld, uh, Desert of Crack, but you'd never see me doing that with with Ashes, even though, arguably, the the graphics were better. Uh, But the aesthetic wasn't there.
1: It's very plain. I think in 2016, we we haven't even got to a couple of the really good-looking games, but like pretty much everything that we're talking about positively here is a game that also had a really good, strong aesthetic. We talked about Banner Saga, Darkest Dungeon, XCOM 2 we didn't talk about as much, but it really used the kind of resistance aesthetic and dystopian thing very well, That and that was... A, a pretty strong positive about it over the uh, last XCOM. Um, we've got Civilization VI ahead of us, which is just drop-dead gorgeous. Um, and then there's...
2: Warhammer, like... I mean, because yeah, Total uh, the, War we, games always this is great.
1: My, this is my segue here, but Total Warhammer... <laughs> I knew it was um, going to be. <laughs> I mean... Not even necessarily the uh, the visual aesthetic, but the sounds of that game are just so incredible. Like, I don't think that Total Warhammer is quite as good of a strategy game as Shogun 2 was, which is still the pinnacle of the series, I believe. But it just feels so right to have, you know, to line up your cannons kind of and have them just destroy an on- <laughs> onrushing horde of zombies and like have your knights charge in and out and all the people shouting the booms the um the guns and the crossbows and it's just like God. this the is interaction a magnificent experience. Units and regular ones like oh, God, when yeah. you're fighting a giant fucking monster with like regular troops it feels so good yeah, and then just, like, dropping your, your hero unit on a griffin in the middle of a group <laughs> of regular guys, and they just, like, explode around him, and he just wipes them out with a couple hammer blows. It's just, like, it's it's not a perfect strategy game, but God, it feels perfect.
2: I love those moments where uh you've got one of those epic sized units, and it just like punches the ground or something or leaps in, and you just see like beast men or whatever flying through the air um it's just so kinetic uh the battles are prop it's the most epic that Total war has ever been
0: there's There's a lot to love about that game um, you know i had I think my misgivings about it toward this like when it came out were that I didn't feel it was as good a strategy game uh, as I was hoping for. And I have not played enough lately to say whether or not that's that's still true. It still feels very much like um, with this sort of unique faction design, um, every every faction you play has has a cool gimmick. Uh, that changes up the way you interact with the um, the strategic layer, which I really, really like and, and think that's really cool. But at the same time, it also kind of felt like... <sighs> I guess the right way to put this is, to an extent, I have not and may never get over my formative experiences with Total War, where it was a little more of a traditional strategy game, if if that makes sense. Um mm-hmm. a little bit more of um orderly expansion, um, a little more managing your a little more careful managing of your diplomacy as best you can to sort of you know keep the wolves at bay long enough for you to destroy, you know, one enemy and move on to the next. A little more about building uh an internal economic engine uh to to sort of to sort of keep you driving forwards. And Total Warhammer seems very much about momentum comes from other sources. And so I think to an extent the strategic game was a little bit uncomfortable for me to play because in most cases it kind of felt like um, it was very much a game where your faction is a shark and you know it has to keep it has to keep uh, it has to keep moving forward or it dies um, and, and that's kind of how that game felt to me on on a strategic level uh, it was funny going back and playing um, Shogun 2 recently after playing Warhammer as, as my most recent total war cuz i just started like fucking looting everything in Shogun 2 and i forgot about the dishonorable daimyo cuz i was like whoa 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 the orcs were cool with it i don't get not get what
1: your problem is so i sacked five cities what's the big deal <laughs> well it's worth bearing in mind that oh i don't know if that's the right way to phrase this but you the this formative experience with total war that you had i'm not sure was actually accurate particularly in terms of diplomacy almost every total war game like in order to have any kind of reasonable challenge at a higher level would basically just have the ai declare war on you as soon as you got a border next to them And like you could try to game that system by keeping empires like a few provinces away for as long as possible, but it just no, it was like it is a war of all against all except. It felt a lot more manageable back in the day. Uh, and,
0: uh, I, and I think well, part of that was uh, people would sue for peace. I think was one key difference. You'd kick their ass a couple times, and then you. That be happens like,
2: all the time in Warhammer. Yeah, what are you talking out? about? Constant, in fact, yeah. if anything, it happens way too much. They're cowardly as hell often. <laughs> it's like yeah, you take I, one of their cities and they're like oh my god here's like money and apologies and yeah it's kind of sad you're like
1: whoa please please don't take my last pathetic city here's five thousand gold okay great yeah I'll they're like you really
2: in in <laughs> like diplomacy they're like yeah <laughs> it's I, yeah, hilarious
1: i i, I, I thinking back to like all the experiences i had with various mods of rome total war and w- everything they did to try to make that game difficult without just having it be horrible <laughs> cheap ai cheats going at you and like by the by the end of these mods by the end of sort of the modding life cycle or whatever what they would do is it would be like a setup that had just everyone against you and if you could survive the first 10 turns then you were in great shape because the ai just could not put together any sort of coherent strategy or tactics and warhammer i think has gotten slightly better at that in terms of providing a challenge over the course of the entire game the ai sends armies in the right direction they're not just all the same unit and can be easily choke put in a choke point that you have to fight over repeatedly like it it feels like there's more diversity of what it's trying to go for in that realm and And the armies do feel different yeah. A lot of that comes from Attila, the, the chaos invasion idea mm-hmm. and the sort of everything is getting worse idea. I think it's way better in Total Warhammer, but they did get they did start experimenting with how to make the mid and late game actually work with Attila, and that was a very good improvement over a lot of their games, particularly Rome 2. Um, but uh, they also, in Total Warhammer, set it up so that the start of the game feels like it's a puzzle and if you don't quite solve it right then you're screwed for the rest of the game I don't feel like it's as bad as XCOM 2 making you like screwed for the rest of the game if you make an early mistake and just like don't have a good sniper or whatever Um, because it always feels like oh that's what I did wrong I need to build higher instead of wider or build taller instead of wider I need to have elite units by the time chaos shows up and I've instead just been conquering things with my spearmen um so total warhammer like it it makes that part of the learning curve but um there's still a kind of weird you have to get your first 10 20 turns exactly right or else you're just kind of stuck in a rut for the rest of the game and going to get wiped out when chaos invades i think it's very
2: much depends on who you're playing is that that's what's weird about uh Total War Warhammer because the factions are so incredibly different, and especially now that we've got these two, or I mean, if, if I guess you can include Chaos, you, we're talking about three uh, DLC factions, and then obviously it, they've also expanded the other factions, so there are like alternate versions of like you instead of just having like the Greenskins, you've also got Goblins and things like that, Um and it's I I've gone from from liking uh Warhammer I mean I I reviewed it and I gave it of course my favorite total war score of 7 um, and <laughs> so even <laughs> I'm But scumbag <laughs> it's just um, absurd and uh but the DLC has transformed the game for me um one of my biggest problems was that I just I, I didn't dig the campaign I, I felt there were a lot of issues with it a lot of that was, was diplomacy. Um, but what the DLC brings with it is a new campaigns, smaller campaigns that remind me a little bit more of Shogun 2 and Napoleon, um, more focused campaigns uh, with legitimately fascinating factions. But even just adding them to the grand campaign, I've been enjoying it a lot more. Um, I think I mentioned it when we were talking about all of the Warhammer games in the last episode, but uh, the Realm of the Wood Elves expansion is is really a, a marvel. Um, it's one of my. I think it might be my now my favourite uh, Total War DLC. Uh, Whoa! It just yeah. It's it completely changes so much. You are playing a a very vulnerable faction in battles where. You make one mistake, and that's it. That is it. Like, when enemies are charging towards you, it it reminds you of how devastating a charge could be. Because you're not like, oh, I I can handle this, I can lose one unit, I can handle this charge. You probably can't. You need to get the hell out of the way. You need to be sneaky and subtle and mean-spirited. You need to trick the enemy army. And it feels like you're playing... These woodland gorilla warriors it's nothing it's not like any other faction I've played in in a total war game before, and it's not the sort of thing that I'd normally even enjoy because I hate sucking and i'm very am very bad at playing wood elves because it is so easy to lose they are und- undoubtedly at least when you're playing their own campaign um because it's almost like you're playing hard mode in Gears of War, where you're just trying to defend this bloody tree while beast men and Bretonians just constantly spew men and bulls and griffins at you. <laughs> it's horrible, but wonderful, because it makes me play Total War in a way that I have never in... Like I how how long has the franchise series been going on for? A long time. A while. A, a while. Ninety nine or two thousand? Yeah, it's it's a hell of a long yeah, time. 2000. Well yeah, so almost we're getting to the two decade point in a few years. And I've never been forced to reevaluate how I play the game to such a degree. Uh it's it's weird because it's depowering, but also empowering. It's, it's I, Simultaneously, because when, you, when you're scared and you're forced to rethink everything and hide all of your troops, basically creating these traps where you're just trying to draw enough big units in, with, and you know you're going to have to sacrifice so much to get this done, but then... You close the doors behind them, the archers appear from the side, and when a plan actually works and an army just crumbles beneath your, like, frail, blonde-haired, pretty little elves, it feels amazing. I mean, 90% of my battles, it didn't end like that. <laughs> but when oh. it worked, it was the most fun I had in in a, in a Total War, at least in a, in a, Warhammer, a Total War Warhammer battle. Uh, and I... Um. And I sorry go ahead
1: even like if you're not playing as the elves um when you look at the campaign map like i had two major problems with the game or only two major problems is probably a better way to phrase this because um, i loved it from the beginning uh, but one of those issues was that the map doesn't feel or it, initially the map didn't really feel complete both in terms of who you can play you only had four or five options and they were very distinct and different options but it could feel repetitive if you're just trying to do the same thing over and over and now they've especially filled in the western half of the map so where that used to just be oh there's a bunch of random human kingdoms there now you have these beast men coming out of the woods you have this elven superpower that can become increasingly dangerous like i started replaying it a couple days ago Finally, got an empire campaign off the ground, and I was like, "I'm doing really well. I've got, you know, I've got most of the empire under my command. I've blunted the first chaos invasion. The vampires are not really doing anything to me. This is, this is, you know, a really great focus for the game." Then the Wood Elves just start stomping my allies in bretonia and I have joined the war against them. And now I know that I you know that entire flank of my empire is going to be in serious danger that it never would have been in the original total warhammer campaign because there is an increasing elven superpower there that's kind of a a, terrifying to go up against it's sending giant trees at me Um, It's so different
2: (laughs) i honestly (laughs) think it it has the potential to be the best total war game I really yeah, do. I,
1: I think that they need to do stuff with the southeast of the map, and maybe that will only come when they, you know, attach the eastern campaign to it in a couple of years. Um, but I think that the dwarves and the orcs down there really need to meet some skaven. That that needs to happen. Some sexy,
2: but, sexy rat yeah
1: Yeah. <laughs> But, like, just look at, looking at, you know, your options when you start a new game now, there were four or five when I played it the first time, because um, Chaos showed up, you know, at some point when I was playing. Uh, now there are, like, I think 11 different campaign options, including dwarves and orcs in the West, where they're actually going to have to fight humans, they might have to fight the elves, they might have to fight the beast men, where, like, I played a whole dwarf campaign where I 50% of my battles were against the orcs, 40% were against chaos, and 10% were just, like, story battles where I was on the side of the humans. And that was just not not a really great feeling for the entire game is like, I want to be able to fight against all these other factions because the dwarves are really cool against the vampires. Cause they're all missile weapons. The vampires don't have missile weapons. Uh, but now there is a dwarf campaign that's right in the middle of all that. And it's really helped just kind of the overall feeling of this game has the right amount of variety. And,
2: um, this is way better than a 7 out of 10 oh yeah Um. (laughs) definitely No, i completely agree i completely agree uh it actually feels like total worn out rather than you are playing a campaign and you have an enemy and probably chaos will show up too Mm -hmm. whereas now it's like oh anyone could be your enemy they could come from anywhere um and there are more surprises When it started, I would recommend people play the Empire because the Empire was
1: actually likely to fight every one of the other factions. Um, The vampires could occasionally fight the dwarves and the greenskins. The dwarves and the greenskins just really didn't have to see many of anybody else except for chaos when chaos inevitably came. So i would say play the empire but now there are all these different options and the empire is just crazy with the elves and the beastmen men coming at them as well um so, so they they still they're still the only one that there's still the one that only has the one campaign but uh it's they don't they don't really need the other ones like the the greenskins and the the dwarves did that goblin campaign is terrifying <laughs> um My other issue with the game, which has not really been fixed, is that especially in early battles, um, missile troops had just so much more survivability and damage they could do. And so battles would almost always, or maybe not almost always, but way more than it should have happened, turn into your melee units, grind each other into dust, and then the end of the battle is whoever has more archers left at the end to mop it up. And that hasn't really been fixed. That's something that Shogun 2 managed to avoid. I think Shogun 2 is the peak out-of-the-box tactical experience that had you set up your lines, you make them route, it, it all worked just like... It had the right, exact right feel. This one, there's just too many battles that end with archers chasing each other across the map for five minutes.
2: This happens even more now with the elves. Uh, yep. Because they they... Have archers who are also fairly decent melee combatants, and they also can shoot and move. So chances are they're yeah. the only ones that are going to be surviving. Um, I mean, if you, if you're making the faction based on that, like yeah, that's cool. it makes sense. It's like it's yeah. like
1: the um, horse archers in the historical total wars, the Mongols sure. or the the various desert tribes or whatever like those things like of course they're supposed to be hit and run and a nightmare to fight against because you're just spending all your time chasing them of course the crusader knights are going to charge off into the desert and just get wiped out by circles of archers peppering them incessantly um (laughs) so that that's that's fine it's just when the empire feels like that or even when the dwarves feel like that that should not be happening and that still happens a little too much um i have not gotten into like some of the rebalancing mods because they seem to be a little more intense than what i'm looking for i just want a slight tweak to morale so that things route a little easier at the end of battles and i think that would make it just about perfect
2: I'm just was... looking at like the amount of things that we still got to talk about, and I feel like it would give a man of a more nervous disposition a panic attack. <laughs> uh,
1: I, I do think the I year am was starting to get antsy over here.
2: <laughs> right? Should we move on? Warhammer was great; and we liked it.
1: Yeah, the, <laughs> the year was front loaded, so I think we're we're probably a little more than halfway done. But yeah, we <laughs> got yeah we got some shit.
2: Yeah. Okay. Who wants to talk about Stellaris? oh boy because Roy can actually moan about this one <laughs> after you've been yeah. gushing about Warhammer you can have a wee whinge about this I could gush about feeling right
1: <laughs>
0: alright let's God not do it. that uh, I think for me Stellaris ended up being it was fine I was hoping for better than fine uh, and I got better than fine with, with Hearts of Iron uh, frankly yeah. like, my, my paradox fix came from, from Hearts of Iron uh this year that was that might actually be my strategy game of the year it's it's very wow. very close um that one just clicked with me uh just it 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 looked and felt right um i really really loved just the unbelievable sense of scale uh you could get as like the front sort of expanded across africa and uh asia um i enjoyed how many like Depending on who you're playing, like, how completely different the game feels and the challenges you face are. Uh, And for all that it sometimes gets silly, uh, especially once you sort of let the game depart from, like, any sort of historical realism. And you start getting some really kooky alliances and, and political shifts um, such as Rowan uh, turning the French into uh, German Allied fascists. I think within like fifteen minutes of the game starting, uh, that felt maybe
1: a little hasty. Italian. Oh, that's I, right. I, I skipped the German alliance. I went to to create a Franco-Italian romantic fascist alliance.
0: Yeah, yeah, that was it. Was it was startling how quickly uh, you were able to bring France uh, all the way over to uh to a band of fascists um although it
1: is
2: that no longer feels so startling fascism uh, comes at you fast (laughs) it's it's true um see i felt really gross when i was because obviously together for victory has has just come out um and it is it is very good. It adds uh, a lot more character and unique national focus trees and all that stuff to the lesser powers. So suddenly they don't all feel like the same thing with a geographical difference. Um, when I was playing as South Africa, I kind of I decided to make them fascist until I was like, oh, this is this is way too close to reality, everyone becoming fascist. I actually had to change. I, I stopped playing them and became lovely Canadians who just wanted to spread democracy throughout the world uh, because it was just too upsetting to be fascist. But I, I, I found that the, the DLC has actually really improved the game considerably because I don't really want to play the big powers. I want to play the, at least in those sorts of games, I want to play the scrappy, weird underdog who nobody expects to do anything. And if you try to do that in the base game, and you could do that because the actual national focus tree, the, the kind of default one, the generic one, uh, could actually be quite powerful, but it never felt like it had anything to do with your nation or your history or anything like that. Whereas now there is just so much, uh, and... I mean, you can, you can go, like, fascist or communist New Zealand, start generating... You can start your own New Zealand tank program and invade Australia while, like, befriending the Japanese. It's, it's crazy, the art history stuff that, that comes out of the expansion. And it has sort of made me change my mind a little bit about a game that I actually liked but didn't love when it first came out. Have you guys played together for victory?
1: No. I haven't played much since release. Um, I like For being theoretically a war game, um, Hearts of Iron 4 really satisfied me as an economic game. Like, the way that you juggle your factories, your production lines, your manpower... Oh my god, the factory, the the resources, factory production lines. <laughs> like, it just... It's like, if you want a game that is about taking a bunch of seemingly complex things and making them all fit in the right place, Hearts of Iron 4 does that. Like, it's, it's my favorite economic game of the year, even though I really liked Off-World Trading Company. I was going to say, and, bloody hell. Um, <laughs> uh, it just, like, it, when you finally figure out how to get, like, the right amount of tanks getting into production is france or someone who's you know they're supposed to be steamrolled but maybe if you manage to get this thing going and create the total war mentality of you know all production being devoted to doing the right thing um or doing the right thing for winning not the right thing in general you probably shouldn't make france fascist uh <laughs> Like, it's just incredibly satisfying to feel all that come together. And part of that is because, although it has a lot of, like, really great sort of feeling tactical and strategic options at the military level, the AI just can't compete. And maybe it's better now. I hope it is. Uh, the, uh, no,
2: the AI is still kind of shit.
1: Yeah. It, like, surviving the initial German onslaught is as France was really, really satisfying up until i saw like when they had a war with the soviets and all of the german units were in the balkans trying to beat yugoslavia and the soviets just walked right into germany like that was a little less inspiring um but just as a group of systems hearts of iron just feels nice
0: yeah and good god the the you' I'm so glad you brought up the um the economic uh aspect of it. I think my favorite part of that was just the playing around with when to sunset certain old types of military tech and how to, you know you know stockpiling your upgrades so that your armored divisions could like suddenly get a huge bonus midway through the war uh as as new designs hit the front um yeah, it just really appealed to that, uh, that, that optimizer, min-maxer uh, side of me as I was sort of you know, tweaking production lines and starting to spin up uh, production of new models while keeping my really um, productive uh, old models churning out. That, that was a really cool thing, uh, by the way, was just the way that the, the game models, the efficiencies that develop the longer industry is set up to support certain types of technology. Um, which is, I'm not sure there's a lot of games that have really dealt with that effectively. A lot of other, like, strategy games, the new thing comes along and it either immediately supplants what existed before it or you're just a fool if you don't immediately start hustling the, that new tech uh, out the door. This really made a, a compelling case for why outdated designs end up sticking around. Right, like you know, why, like why, why is the Panzer IV uh, still like sort of the main workhorse of the German army in 1944? Well, it's because they got really good at building a Panzer IV, (laughs) and they put a lot of extra garbage on the Panzer IV chassis that made it eh, pretty effective uh, deep into the war. And yeah, it, it had been completely like overtaken by later designs, but. Building that new stuff was hard. Your factories were really good at building those old designs, so why not stick with that? Um, I really liked that that was was a part of this game, and you you sort of had to think about whether or not it was ever even going to be worth um, developing a new tank, right? Like, you, you sort of started thinking about, like, I can research all this stuff, but what am I really going to be able to deploy in meaningful numbers? And you had to make really uh really really stark choices about that um i can only imagine how satisfying that would have been if the if the air war had made had made more sense
1: i mean that's kind of a good thing because the air war was so overstated and a lot of you know interpretations of the war strategic bombing that did essentially nothing that sort of thing so that's fine by me focus on the tanks
0: yeah the, the the air war. I need to. I, I haven't played it in a little bit. I need to check out whether the air war ever got sensible. Because uh, man, like realizing that air superiority missions just turned your fighter squadrons into um like insanely driven groups of like kamikaze fanatics. Uh that, that was a, that took a while to understand. Like I just I just want some air cover. Can you can you stop their dive bombers? And all your fighter pilots are like, yes, I will ram them with my plane if necessary. And it's like <laughs> no no whoa hold on there. Just <laughs>
1: like, make it a little easier on us guys.
0: Yeah there just were there in. were a thousand of you like two days ago. Now there's like two hundred <laughs> what happened
1: Uh, the uh I don't think the Air War got approved much. I know they spent a lot of time focusing on naval stuff over the summer patches, so... The, the most
2: recent stuff seems to be, like, uh, motor stuff. Right? I mean, I, have, I didn't... When I played Together for Victory, I didn't notice that the air game was any better than it was when I played it before. Um, I still kind of felt like I wasn't really making sense of it, and air superiority really bugged me. Um, I, yeah... I kind of i i dealt with it because you have to get involved and engage with your air force, but I kind of feel like I wish I didn't have to. I just really want
0: a Hearts of Iron four take on World War One. Because I, there, I think mod it could do that. that even seems
1: better. to be doing some really good stuff there. Okay, T- I am, Tj was raving about it the other day. That's my jam. Because I actually
0: um, kind of feel like maybe it's even more suited to that kind of war, given yeah. how the AI is best able to handle large, long, static fronts. Um, that's where it starts to like come to grips with, with the game design a little bit more, and I could easily see uh, a World War I version of this game uh, being really really awesome so i guess what i'm really saying is victoria 3 just needs to have like hearts of iron bolted (laughs) onto it like at a certain point like the like victoria 3 rips the mask off and is like (laughs) "I was hearts of iron all along and i'll be like fuck yes let's do this
1: uh while we're talking about the uh the year in paradox uh we just did an eu4 show uh so I won't get into it too much, but the Rights of Man expansion is so good. So good. Uh, the the way they added institutions to Europa Universalist 4 just makes all the technology kind of click. It, is it,
0: EU4 still one of the best strategy games of the year?
1: <laughs> I mean, th- this expansion is, you know has a decent case for expansion of the year definitely in strategy games i mean as long as blood and wine exists i don't think it could do it overall but uh yeah and then i think crusader kings 2 had conclave come out this year yeah um that added a new political dimension to interacting with vassals and how and their overlords and so on that suddenly made crusader kings 2 feel vibrant again and i know that like a year or two ago, when the Horse Lords expansion came out, we kind of felt done with CK2. But Conclave seemed to really give it a lot of a burst of energy that it desperately needed. And now I'm back into CK2 every so often. So um, it was a good year for Paradox. Those three three games really nailed it.
2: I would I would say four. Uh, I know I you don't, don't feel know what the you're same way. About I know we inexplicably <laughs> skipped over it, but uh, I actually I still highly rate. Stellaris. Uh, it, I mean, I, I guess it's just because it does a bunch of things that most other 4X games don't really, or, you know, grand strategy games don't bother doing. Um, and I actually think that the the writing is, is superb. I, I go on about story a lot, because for these things I actually do. I want to have this engaging story. Um, and it, that's why I'm quite excited about the... Um, and I, actually, I was planning to play it a while back when it first came out, but the uh, the new... The Kennedy update, as it's appropriately called, um, uh, with the aliens that love you and just want to be your friend, but there's something sinister going on. I love the idea that uh, a kind of 4x grand strategy game can have a like story update. It's such a bizarre thing, and I didn't realise how much I wanted it until it was kind of first announced, and a free one as well. But I'll end the Still Arts talk here because I know you guys are are grumps.
0: No, I'm not. A, I'm not a grump. Like I do not share. I do not share Rowan's um, overwhelming, dis- like not disdain, but um, disappointment uh, with the game. Uh, disengagement uh, from from what from what a lot of the game is doing. But at the same time, I also can't say I share a lot of excitement or enthusiasm for for what's going on in Stellaris. Now, I haven't played enough of it maybe to really appreciate what's there. Like, I see people online posting like sh- screenshots on Twitter about like amazing, epic sci-fi shit that's happening at the end of the game with like ancient precursor races coming, going, come boiling out of the void with like yeah, massively insane. Like,
2: it's that gone shit sounds amazing. Mental. It's gotten so. So crazy, like uh, Leviathan uh, expansion uh, added a lot of a lot of stuff, um, and then also, but also some stuff that exists like throughout the game. It isn't just been uh, adding uh, endgame stuff. Um, although obviously that was something that a lot of people really wanted because they felt that the the endgame wasn't really quite there yet. Um, but yeah, it gets completely insane. Uh, it does take a long time to get there, but I find that that journey uh, remains a really compelling one. Uh, and then, obviously, uh, there are so many diligent modders doing some really cool things. Uh, the, this kind of Star Trek, Star Wars mods, which are still kind of in alpha and in development, are uh, are really exciting. And then there's kind of smaller ones where you can just play as a purely synthetic race. And God, I hope Paradox actually makes an official Synthetic race um, for for us to play, uh, but yeah, I, I I still highly rate it as one of the best strategy games of the year.
1: Uh, I mean, one of the things that mitigated all my disappointment in it was that paradox has good smart people working on it and when i look at their patches and i look at things like the leviathans expansion and i look at their plans for the future it's like these are my core issues with the game that they are directly attempting to resolve the next patch that they've been talking about with a a refocus of the ethics system and um a lot more internal politics might get me to try it again um but I also feel vindicated because the things I complained about are the things that they're trying to fix the most. They're the things that are most obviously uh, in need of improvement. And, you know, they might have
2: a different take or you might have a different take on how bad they made the game initially. Um, yes, yeah, because I agree. Like, almost all of your issues that you had with it, I would never say, well, these issues don't exist. They, they definitely did. But I, I still think the things that it actually managed to do... Um, and it, it, I don't want to say that it allowed me to just kind of brush the issues to the side and ignore them. But it just meant that the game overall was just more... It was still a pleasure to play.
1: I mean, it might have been bad luck. Like, I might have played my three or four campaigns that just happened to have nothing interesting happen in the mid-game yeah, ever. I think and this is, is what we just...
2: discussed. That, like, in, when we did the actual episode on Stellaris... I think we were all, like, quite surprised because your game sounded really shit, and I've played so many, and I've honestly never had a game where nothing has happened, it's really weird, like, I was, it's to the point where I think it sounded like you had a bug, to be honest. It, it, that could have been the case,
1: like, I don't know what was up with it, but, um, yeah, it's I just never felt any significant pressure, either ex- internally or externally. And with the, the main game that I got the the deepest into, um, I don't think the crises ever triggered. I got that random thing not happen. I got too powerful for anyone near me to ever want to declare war on me. And uh, I think technically the game just bogs down. I don't know if that if it's been optimized at all, but... I think it had a pretty big issue of slowdown in the mid game where it just wouldn't move fast enough so yeah I mean there's enough there that it can be made to work someday and maybe that someday will be when they do this Banks patch Um, they really need to get on the Le Guin patch though that's what I'm looking forward to give me give me uh, planets with multiple genders
0: (laughs) and it's also worth pointing out that um it's sad that we sort of need that lesson of of how to take criticism or a difficult review but it was nice to see paradox um kind of show that uh what being a grown-up looks like uh <laughs> when when confronted with with honest criticism um <laughs> kind yeah, it was of...
2: so weird that there were pe- there were people that like genuinely took offense at your review but none of them were actually like in paradox uh was, I mean, I got,
1: I got a few annoyed tweets, but they were from people that I am friendly with and have yeah. been friendly with since. They just did not agree with the score, and they let me know. But they did not, like, encourage harassment campaigns or anything like that. They yeah, just it's, it's, it's a far cry
0: from, like, writing a, a post on, on your game's forums, like, trying to just, like, <laughs> describe a dossier on a reviewer and, <laughs> yeah. and why your mediocre game is so mediocre. Uh, yeah. Um, it was it, it was nice to see Paradox uh, step up like that.
2: Because um, like six was definitely was it a six that you gave it?
1: Yeah, it was like a six point three or yeah, something. That was, a,
2: that was a dick score, but <laughs> <laughs> it's better than giving
1: Warhammer a seven.
2: <laughs> I've admitted though that I would now give it something higher. Uh, I'd give it like I don't know some other number. I'd rather just not give it a number and just say I really like it. Um, but there you go well i mean that's sort
1: of the thing like uh luke plunkett at kotaku basically gave solaris the exact same review i did he just didn't have a score attached to it on the day (laughs) that uh the embargo dropped his came a couple days later with no score and he didn't take any significant amount of shit for it but it was you know essentially the same thing
0: uh so i actually only see a couple other games here that i want to hit and i actually have less to say about them than, than i might like um with Civ, I feel like my feelings are kind of boiled on to, I love what you've done with the cities.
2: <laughs> and
0: then a long, awkward silence.
2: <laughs> like I, I have not played it since, I can't even, can't even remember, I certainly haven't played it since we did the podcast on it. Like, the actual episode that we did where I was like, I'm not sure if I'm going to play this again. I haven't. I honestly haven't. And I don't think, I don't think I will. I mean, maybe if a really interesting expansion comes out, but I really, I genuinely think I might be done with Civ forever uh, until <laughs> something incredibly dramatic and groundbreaking happens. Because well, I'm just sick of that game. It's really well made, but I just don't care.
1: Maybe we should talk about, you know, that the 4X genre seems to in a you know post eu4 or ck2 world or however you want to define it it seems to need something else in order to be special and civ6 was gorgeous civ6 had a bunch of great design decisions civ6 improved on civ5 in pretty much every way i might want it to improve on civ5 i'm just not that interested in a game that can't create an compelling strategic system for me to interact with like it's all sort of internal motivation focused. It's not an external kind of. This is a really interesting thing that's happening. I want to go into it. It's what is my goal here? How do I deal with that? Like the AI will declare war on you, and then you have to be able to do that. But you don't like see something like this is my only chance to declare war on France that you get in Europa Universalis. It's just not doing something outside of what your decisions are. And I'm just not that interested in a game that only does that anymore. And that's true for any Forex. That's true. That was true for Stellaris. I don't think Stellaris created an interesting galactic system. Other people disagree. And I, I'm glad they saw that. Um, but you look at something like Endless Legend, which attached a story to it and said, as long as you go through this story, you know, you'll do well in the game. And that made Endless Legend feel fresh.
2: And Endless Space 2 is, is very much doing the same thing.
1: Yeah, uh, I, I, haven't, I haven't gotten too much into it since I did a preview of it, but um, they, they, they're trying. That's, that's a core goal of theirs, and
2: uh, I'm looking forward to seeing a more final attempt than the preview that I used. The early access version has a lot going for it. Uh, at least yeah. when I last played But it's still it's quite limited And it's weird when you've got a strategy game Playing in early access never feels that much fun
1: I mean it depends uh, We're going to get to Rimworld at some point soon Oh that's so. yeah. That's
2: Jesus Christ we've got so many games <laughs> I just want to go to bed guys And, and <laughs> you know we,
1: I played Darkest Dungeon for like A hundred hours before the official Release came out So mm. you know, I would say they, it's, it can it's, be done
2: a, a 4x game then
1: yeah it's difficult because a 4x game is just so many different things and you need you want this sort of like final piece of the puzzle that comes down and says oh this all makes sense now like uh, when civilization 5 added the trade routes in brave new world it was like oh everything before this didn't really count did it because the trade routes and various other Mm -hmm. brave new world things were like now this game has come together yeah and it's like Something needs to happen to make that thing click, and even then, I still rarely went back to step five. Um, so, I, I don't know. It's the world might have moved on from civilization.
2: I don't think the world has. I think some people have. I think maybe the, just, people who played six
1: civilizations by this point could justly
0: <laughs> yeah. be say could justly say they're a little bit tired of that formula.
2: It's just so weird that I mean, because it's not a, it, Civ Six is are, it's the best that Civ has ever been at launch, I think. And it's so weird with that being the case that it doesn't even come close to featuring in my like top 10 strategy games of the year. Not even close. Well, Top 10 strategy
0: games of the year, really?
2: Yeah. (laughs) This was a good year for strategy games, It was a really good year. I just honestly, and I, I, there, if I strip it apart, there are so many systems that I love about Civ 6. I just don't love playing it. I get bored so quickly. I was like, I have been here before, no matter, like, they've changed so much, and yet it still feels way too familiar, um, and it's not giving me, see, these new systems, as great as they are, I don't feel like it's giving me any actual new experiences when I actually interact with the systems. Yeah, I, think,
1: it... I think that's a really good way to put it.
2: So, you know, I could, I, could, I don't think I'll be playing, I mean, I still haven't played since, since we last spoke about it, and I don't. I can't imagine why I would play a
1: game. Um, mods. They need to add mod support on the Steam Workshop. Like, why is that not there? This is something... They were bragging about Is it still not done? It's There's still not Steam Workshop support for that game. They were bragging about their mod plans in the preview, like, two months before the game was released, and they have not made any official things. Like, you can go to unofficial mods and... Um, you know, go back to Civ fanatics, but it feels like you know traveling back to 2008 here. Um, as I said on the on the Civ 6 podcast, like I haven't really gotten into a civilization game without mods since Civ 2, and maybe not even then. Like it could just be that I'm not that into the core 4x design but there are people who can make it so that I get into it. Um, the rise and fall mods for Civ 3 and Civ 4 specifically. So that's that that could just be a personal thing and if there are people out there loving it then, you know, it's a lovable game. I just have not clicked with it in the way that I did with Civs 1 through 4
0: so i think for me civ 6 crystallized a couple things uh one is that city management did need a shake up and i think they they found the right shake up uh by borrowing but also refining to an extent what's happening in endless legend um at the same time the diplomatic game feels like it's gotten shakier um ever since ever since 4 um it's just i don't know it, I, there there's something about it that that feels less uh, le- le- less person personable. Uh, it 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 seems like there's less. Um, I don't know. It seems like it's easier to keep things from happening. Like I, I feel like the diplomatic game, uh, trends toward being slightly slightly uninvolving and slightly random. Uh, and that has been an ongoing trend. And I don't feel like Civilization VI really addresses it. I don't have a lot of interesting interactions, uh, with with other rulers. Uh, there are not a lot of interesting points of contact I can have with them. They just kind of exist and uh, will will turn against me if if I'm you know sort of threatening to win. Uh, or they will sort of have these little uh, like hot button issues that you can press that uh, will also turn them against you in, in ways that don't entirely make sense. So I think the uh, sort of under, <laughs> I, I think there's been a, a trend towards trying to simplify. Uh, the the diplomatic game in Civ uh, for for a little while now, and I think where it's ended up is is kind of being simplistic rather than simple uh, is kind of the way I'd put it. The other thing I'd say about Civ Six is some of the things that have been added with with Civilization. Just aren't that cool uh, to, to, to mess around with. They're, they're like little taxes on your attention. Like I think city-states do interesting things on the strategic layer, but it feels like I'm paying a toll uh rather than um rather than having an interesting like strategic relationship and in, or interaction, right? Like city-states seem to inhabit the world of civilization, as far as I'm concerned. Um the way that like <laughs> It's like enabling auto pay or something or something on a, on a on a utility. It is kind of how it feels like from time to time. Like when the account runs low, you got to check in and, and see how that's going. But what it doesn't do is is I think add a great deal of like fun or or excitement. Uh, and then there's a few sieves that explicitly are designed to leverage uh, that mechanic, but. Yeah, I don't know. There's there's something about the city states Uh, model has never really clicked for me.
1: I'll say this: I despised Civ Five until I started playing without city states, and they're tolerable in Civ (laughs) Six. Okay, so that's that's an improvement. They're just they're just not still good. I also question the whole great works thing.
0: Uh, I am not so sure that uh, making managing a large virtual curio cabinet was a great decision in civilization six um yeah, i don't the, know
1: the all of the tourism culture victory stuff is bad i think that's, that's yeah, the only it, way to really put it there's i can quibble with like the whole 4x design thing but civilization is good at being a 4x but the culture victory is not good what's weird is it didn't bother me that much in civ 5 under brave new world but i think
0: that's because those systems existed to address shortcomings with the culture of victory uh so there it was kind of welcome because it added a layer to something that was you know dangerously shallow and and uh passive but in civilization 6 I'm, I'm kind of left there wondering like okay so what what all is happening here now like what what is the point of this Um, why is this cool? And I don't always find answers readily to hand, but I do need to play this game, uh, more, uh, because I haven't, I, I, I was late getting to it, uh, and I haven't put a ton of time into it. I've only played a couple games, really. Um, the fact I have not felt a drive to do more than that, uh, is, is, kind of telling in itself, but yeah, Civilization VI, um, I love what they did with the cities. Uh and and I do hope that uh this, this weird ennui uh that's afflicting us over four X's and uh Civ in particular, I, I hope that
1: I hope that passes. I hope there's there's something that uh, comes along to to make Before that stuff click. People look at what Amplitude did and start saying we need to do more than just say this is a four X. We yeah. need to you know, inject personality and motivation in beyond you know, you're gonna make a big empire and then smash people.
2: It's really odd though, Rob, that you say you, you, you need to play more of it and then you immediately say, I don't feel any drive to play it. So is it like, you? do you really think you just wanna play more because it's Civ and you feel like you ought to?
0: Yeah, I mean, no, I mean like, there, there's no paradox in that statement. Like, I feel like I can't okay. render any like Many definitive. ha. Huh, uh I feel like I can't render a definitive verdict about mm. the game because I feel like I have not I've yet to give it a truly fair shake. Right. But part of the reason for that is because usually a Civ there's sort of a a, a flush of first love with a Civilization mm. game and this time it just it didn't happen. Um so something something has changed and I've yet to work out whether that's just my general fatigue with games like this or whether uh my complaints with Civilization Six are maybe Maybe they run a little deeper and appreciate my uh, affect my appreciation for the game a little more than I'm aware of.
1: Right. But also, you like didn't even have a computer when it came out, so you're yeah, playing catch up, missed- right?
0: Yeah, it's been it's been a hell of a month uh, trying to play <laughs> all the games of 2016 uh, in the space of a month. It's been fun. Um, and with that, I think we've talked about every game. Uh, there are no other games that came out this year. No, no. I want to talk definitely about
2: WMD. <laughs> um, I'm joking. I love that game, but I won't talk about it.
1: Yeah, I, I'm definitely running out of energy, but RimWorld is a great game with some controversies that you can maybe steer
2: clear of <laughs> oh, if God, you want actually, to because of that. I got dragged into that. That was fun.
1: <laughs> oh, did you?
2: I wouldn't say dragged in I made a, a kind of just a tweet about it, and then it suddenly became a discussion and for like a week i was getting like people not harassing me or anything like that but it was just something i didn't i had like one throwaway tweet and suddenly i'm involved in this bullshit and i'm like i hate twitter (laughs) (laughs) it's a a really good game though but we can we could say that we're maybe not going to talk about it because it's still in early access so it's not actually a game that came out this year because it's not ready yet Because, I mean, Darkest Uh, Dungeon we talked about coming out this year, but the Early Access version was 2015.
1: Yeah, I mean, we could have talked about Darkest Dungeon last year. I don't even remember if we did. Um, One thing I want to mention that came out this year is uh, Ultimate General Civil War Early Access, which seems very promising. The uh, Ultimate General Gettysburg was a game that I think... I don't know if you played it much, Fraser, but Rob and I both played yeah, it. Yeah,
2: we Rob kicked my ass a couple of times as he has won today. It's really the, good though. This, it's it's a fascinating thing. It seems like game. a
1: consistent thing. But yeah, I, <laughs> I played through I didn't I haven't even touched the like main campaign mode of uh, Ultimate General Civil War yet, but I played like the individual battles and they're doing a good job of saying our engine works as a Civil War simulator. We can put it into second bowl run. We can put it into um, shiloh we can hopefully put it into fredericksburg and make it interesting somehow um no but Chance- chancellorsville and chickamauga and all these other battles that are almost never put in uh to none the of these games. are real
2: bloody battles they say ridiculous you're making that up <laughs> chickamauga man i'm really <laughs> looking forward Americans. to it
1: 2017 is going to be great <laughs> um yeah ultimate general civil war is something that is already pretty exciting and definitely worth looking forward to
0: yeah that and that is a already a pleasant surprise because like when i heard they were sort of tackling the entire war i was like well that's going to be a terrible decision (laughs) like that sounds like biting off more than you can chew and then even in the like early access alpha like yeah i was surprised how good shiloh was i was surprised how good first bull run was um so yeah run is a blast the second bull run is a great battle, though. Uh, it's, yeah. it's 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 real it's real good. Um, Take command, second Manassas is is great for a similar reason. Like there's just a lot of cool things that happen uh, with with that battle. But yeah, I'm I'm really excited. I was I was terrified uh, when I when I heard about it, and and now I'm pretty pretty excited. So uh, hopefully, you know, 2017 ends up uh, ends up being pretty strong. All right, before we go, what's the game we didn't talk about that you want to give a shout out to?
2: We didn't really talk about Offworld Trading Company, which is really, really, really good. Um, it's beautiful. It's got an amazing soundtrack. It is... That was actually um,
0: mine, so we can discuss it a little bit.
1: <laughs> yeah.
2: All right. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: And I've played it. It's worth discussing.
2: So it's, it, I, what I found, because I, I got into it a little bit and then didn't really play a huge amount, and then kind of started playing a lot more recently, and I was, like, surprised that it's actually quite a challenging game as well, Um. I don't know if it's just because it, it's been a while since I played something that was so economics focused and that I was just a bit rusty but the the AI was giving me a run for my money to the point where I actually had to go through the sort of tutorial campaign thing to really get to grips with it. Um, and I found myself improving considerably after that. But I, there was always a sense that, oh, yeah, I, I could be defeated. And it can happen so quickly because I think that's my favorite thing about the game is the you feel like you're on top and everything's going your way. And you maybe take your eyes off the road for a couple of minutes and all of a sudden... Half of your company has been bought by the competition and you're freaking out. You're, like, do, you're trying to raise enough money to start buying them out and it becomes this kind of ridiculous tug of war trying to reinvest this money and buy all this stock. And it's it's just so energizing for a game that is about like selling water and metal and stuff like that. Um, so I absolutely adore it and I, I wish I'd gotten into it as much as I have a lot sooner. Are,
1: are you playing single-player or multiplayer?
2: I'm playing single-player. Um, I've played, like, one multiplayer game, um, yeah. and it was... I actually did better in the, the multiplayer game than I was in the single-player. The single-player uh, is
0: tough, because it, it sort of puts limitations on you that don't exist uh, in, the, in the main multiplayer game, so, like, you can end up facing, like, bottlenecks... That just don't happen in the main game uh in that in that campaign which i find kind of interesting
1: and cool um it it seems to initially with the early access and then the initial release version um be one of those games that like game developers really want to design games that they can play with their other with the other members of their company over lunch um and and so this is like... studio that appears
0: to be the prime directive for this game.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I mean I this is I think Sora Johnson specifically like said that when I was interviewing him, but I see it with other games. Like I feel like uh Evolve was designed to play with your pals over lunch. Um it and t- putting it out into the wider world was like okay, this doesn't really work if you don't know the people you're playing with. But um Offworld Trading Company kind of had that feel like, oh, this is a really neat set of mechanics for if I'm actually able to like sit and talk to the people that I'm playing with and yell at them about buying my company or whatever. Um, but I know that they they said they wanted to make the single-player mode more robust since the official release. And I, it sounds like, according to what Fraser's saying, but they have succeeded in doing that because i played a few games of uh single player i'm not sure if i ever managed to get into a multiplayer game or not and i was like yeah this is neat i really like these systems but i don't have people to play with that much so eh. um, it, it definitely helps if you have like
0: a game group because it does have a lot of screw your neighbor mechanics that are really fun in like a land setting or uh you can you can go and talk talk afterwards about like the um you know oh that hacker attack was the, totally hosed me, or did you like the part where I blew up your uh your off world uh trading uh like launch bay or whatever so you
2: can you can pay money for like worker revolts and suddenly you've taken over one of their factories and they're like losing yeah. money and you're like sorry I think
0: the thing that makes this game challenging is that. And I mean, like, also a little challenging to, to get into is, for me, a lot of appreciating what's going on in that game happened because, like, literally people who were working on the game, like, talked to me about stuff I was experiencing and told me things that I was sort of missing. But it is a game where you really have to be cognizant of... way all the pieces fit together and how they can be used and that's true of every rts but the difference is in a lot of other rts's you can band select an army and still like point them at something and like shit will go down something will happen off world trading company really demands that you you know you you started out fraser by saying you really have to be paying attention and there's a lot of things you need to be paying attention to because there's a lot of inferences uh, you need to make over the course of that game, you can't just get your uh your resource production pipeline set up for a couple high value uh finished goods because those could end up being produced by too many people, and you need to be like very vigilant for wh- when that market starts to break away and break against you and figure out what you're going to do next. You need to sort of see how your opponents have set up their bases and what they're what they're up to if you're going to employ. Uh, those sabotage mechanics uh, effectively. When you get the chance to make upgrades and get patents, you really need to have an understanding of of what your resource, you know, in and out, uh, your, your resource flow looks like if you're going to make smart decisions about getting that stuff. And then on top of that, you need to be aware of what the state of play is in that stock market and how you can best um, sort of take over your, your opponent's companies. There's a lot of things that are, that are all sort of working at once, and to really play that game well and get the most out of it, you need to understand how to get those systems to work in tandem. And that is where I struggle with that game. Uh, I still really, really like it, but it is an awful lot of things uh, to keep track of, and it requires
2: sort of an endless suppleness and flexibility. Yeah, you do, you, I mean, you can find a resource that you think, okay, this is what I'm going to focus on for this match, but it's never going to work, because one of a million things could happen that will destroy that. You know, not least, which is that you might find that everyone, as you said, Rob, is, is focused on this resource as well, and it's worthless. Um, I, what I find really interesting is how I had to actually um, tap into the more military mindset a lot of the times, about like the way I would actually protect my systems and my factories. I mean, because you can... Basically, topple an entire company with a, a kind of well-placed assault, or little workers' revolt, or whatever, or a hack. Um, if you've got these incredibly like powerful, like you've got the uh, uh, the stuff where you send all your goods up in a rocket and all this other stuff. And all it takes is for a sneaky little bugger to hack that and suddenly something that you focused a lot of of time and energy on isn't actually helping you for a set period of time. So you've got to invest uh, in, in protecting that as well as continuing to go with the flow and keep an eye on the market while also spying on your neighbor and It's crazy. It hurts my head when I'm playing it, but I absolutely adore it. But I think if you're playing with other people who um, are also struggling, then it's a lot more fun because everyone's trying to just keep their head above water uh, and juggling all of these things and frequently dropping a lot of balls, which makes it, I think, potentially a lot more amusing. So I think I'm going to start playing a lot more multiplayer. Um... Yeah,
1: it it's sort of like chess. I don't know if you guys have done any really, like chess sim type things, but uh, if you're playing against a chess computer that's not necessarily all that good, then what it does is it like will often just like play a really good game, except with one out of every ten moves being incredibly stupid. It's really hard to get an AI that like manages to have a relatively simple system that can go in a bunch of different ways and not just have it be like perfect with occasional mistakes or whatever so i think like it, it is designed for playing with humans and what it's... is
2: nice though is that the ai has personality um yeah. and it holds grudges and it can be your friend temporarily um so even though if you, if you are just playing against the ai you still get some of that interesting little twists in your game where you're getting along with the company that's right next to you and you're being buddy buddy but then you've basically you really need more water and there's and they really need more water as well and you're like right we can't be friends anymore we have to be enemies um and they'll remember that if you fuck them over they will not suddenly just forget uh, and and It's Nobody truly gets along for an entire match. So it still has some of that, even when you're playing uh, in single player. But obviously you don't get to chat to them properly while you're doing it and send threats and, you know, say horrible things about their mum. That's the best part.
0: (laughs) All right, so speaking of Fraser's mum... Uh, I've got some things I need to do uh, for, I, before before 2016
1: ends. I got, I got, I got a game to shout out. All right, um Atlas Reactor is oh, yeah. a combination XCOM style tactical combat with a sort of a MOBA mentality and a little bit of like Overwatch style personality. It's not quite as good as Overwatch is at that, but it's a it's a really interesting combo. And if you're thinking, I like XCOM, but i also like league of legends then it is worth checking out that is my shout out
0: i've had a few people tell me that that game deserves a lot more attention than it's getting um yeah. it's
2: trying isn't it yeah yeah it is yeah
0: yeah that's that's that sounds really cool
2: i checked uh, the preview and... out and i loved it but i haven't even looked at it since then There's just 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 too many games
1: all right we'll we'll <laughs> add that to the hopper for uh for 17 so, so, which is your game of the year? We can end on that one. Oh God! Oh Jesus Christ! Uh. <laughs> pick one. Darkest Dungeon. Rob, go.
0: Hearts
1: uh, uh, of Iron Four. <laughs> All right, Fraser, go.
2: Oh, Stellaris. Oh, <laughs> Fraser. <laughs> it's it's either that or XCOM Two.
1: All right, XCOP 2 it is. <laughs> no. No, Fraser says Stellaris. It's Stellaris.
0: Fra- Fraser had the magical experience that, that, that Rowan missed.
1: Which is a design flaw in the game. It needs to make sure that it happens I to was everyone. Really
0: to- I almost said Homeworld Deserts of Croc though. It was real close. <laughs> it's, like, it's, I was too real torn
2: I almost, I almost want to take it back now. Can I not just say, like, ten things that are my <laughs> game of the year? <laughs> I can't choose. I can't choose one. It's way too difficult. I do yeah. take it back. There are at least ten.
1: <laughs> yeah, mine were basically Rim World, Warhammer, and Darkest Dungeon in a tie. But I went with Darkest Dungeon because if people are like, "What is the game that you need to play from 2016?" I would say that one. Like, it's yeah. got something for everyone, and it does new and clever things that are important. I think. Oh God, also, we didn't even so. talk
2: about Battlefield Gothic Armada. <laughs> I,
1: I that I had a, It
0: was I, written down here, and I was like, yeah. "No, it was like no." That was a that was a very nice game. That
1: the this, this show is two hours long. Like this is
2: <laughs> oh this is not a it's place for very nice two games. Hours. I two thought hours we were
1: going to go three. So this oh is... god, you bastards!
2: It's it's like half eleven, and I have work to
1: Yeah, yeah. Well,
0: good job, everybody. Uh, it is now actually 2017. Uh, we, <laughs> we we basically talked our way through the rest of 2016. Uh and it's the new year now, so we've uh, toppled we...
2: fascism as well.
0: Yeah. We solved a lot <laughs> of problems. Uh
1: anyway. Have a good year, everyone.
0: Yeah, thanks for uh th- thanks for sticking with us uh through a-, a pretty challenging year. Uh seventeen will hopefully be a lot be- a lot better and a lot more predictable <laughs> in in some ways. Uh, Anyway, that'll do it for this week. We'll be back next week with more strategy discussion. Uh, Three Moves Ahead is produced, as always, by Michael Hermes, uh, who has a real job ahead of him for this one. Uh, (laughs) And the show is hosted on the Idle Thumbs Network. You can learn more about the show and discuss this episode with our community at threemovesahead.net, or follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash 3MA. Finally, Three Moves Ahead is supported by listeners just like you on Patreon. You can learn more at patreon.com slash 3MA. Uh, we'll be back next week with another episode. Until then, for Fraser and Rowan, this is Rob Zackney, saying goodnight and Happy New Year.